Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the preparatory podcast, and we're just going to pick right up. In Jacob chapter 3, we've got the same four hosts here. We've got Jason, Andrew, Joel, and uh, we'll just kick it right in. We got we got uh, four verses in last episode to Jacob <laughs> chapter 3, so this is 153 50. verses, so only <laughs> this rate. eight more episodes or so. Um, what are your Christmas plans? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't really have a schedule or, I mean, timeline. Um, I mean, I do have some high points of just the, the story of the parable. One thing I found unique, though, about this chapter is I was reading Romans 11. Um, and if you know Romans 11, Paul, you know, many years later from when Jacob lived, um, is preaching to the Gentiles. And he's giving them the Gentiles version of the the parable of the yellow tree and it's the same story because it's you know we all have a part to play and we're all involved in that story um but it's too it i don't know if it you could even call it a puzzle piece because it's very identical to to each other but you know they fit where they do but paul talks about uh, magnifying his office i think i have the verse here because he's the apostle to the gentiles he knows that they're going to be the ones that take it up after the Jews dropped it, right? After after they, as Jacob says, stumbled, he's talking to the Gentiles. He's like, God's magnifying my office because I know you as the church at, you know, Philippi of Rome, uh, all these Gentiles, you're going to pick up the ball and you're going to run with it. But he also, he also I'll, I'll turn there real quick. And he gives him a warning. He does. And, and that's what I was turning to in verse 18 of Romans 11. Um, he basically says, don't think you're better because <laughs> you're a Gentile. I'll read that. Real- Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because this will be talked about later in Jacob chapter 3. But in verse 11, verse 18, he says, Boast not against the branches, for thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Maybe we should have started with <laughs> what the root was and what the what the branches were. But we can we can go back to that. So I guess I can ask all three of you now that we're involved in the we know that the fathers, you know, who the fathers were and, and the important role they had to play with the children and the covenants God has made. What does this parable now that Jacob says is so important for the children to know mean? Do you guys have any thoughts on? Well, Zenus mm-hmm. is our prophet who evidently Paul had access to his writings or through the verbal passing down of through one from one generation to the next was new the story and knew that Zenus had shared it. Of course, Jacob is off, obviously aware of Zenus's parable as well. And of course, it's a it's a metaphor using an olive tree, and an olive tree is is an interesting phenomenon, I guess, in terms of the plant world and the tree. They can they can live for a very very long time, and when they grow. In the, in the wild or in the natural, they have a tendency to grow in a certain way that becomes unfruitful. Um, wild, wild olive trees overbear, and the branches will overrun what the roots can handle. And so the, so the berries are smaller, they're more bitter, and, but, a, but a cultured or pruned olive tree actually can bear quite well and of course this is in this in this this is a metaphor um, for the house of Israel 
and we understand that uh, all metaphors break down at one point or another. But there are some interesting aspects of understanding what the Lord is talking about in this metaphor. And I guess, you know, we can first talk about the roots. Um, what, what are the roots? Um, what, do we, what do we think we mean by, or we understand the roots are? Well, throughout the parable, the roots are always strong, and they're always good, as far as I can remember. There is one sentence, which we don't have to spend a lot of time on, where he talks about he's willing to let them go, but then he comes right back, and it's they are important, so mm-hmm. let's just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess I don't have anything. I don't have my notes. Okay, so no, no. One, but the roots are the testimony of Jesus that keeps. Okay. Can be grounded? All right, now I'm going to propose some things, but please don't hear me lecture. This is just an interpretation of a pretty much a simpleton, which I consider so I myself. Got it wrong. No, <laughs> just not kidding. you. I'm just kidding. Sam, you, you did it well. Uh, the roots, there, there are three primary parts of the tree, the roots, the trunk, and then the branches, which bear the fruit. Now, we can say that the roots are really the beginning Okay, so this is these are the fathers, mm-hmm. and the roots have to get it right, or the rest of the tree won't. Okay, we can also say that, or we can say in addition that the trunk, which the roots come together about, is Christ, and then the, the branch in the meridian time. No, we know Christ came. Well, the branches are really the children, and they can they can. Um, represent many generations, but basically we have the early um, ancestors, we have Christ, and then we have the later children of, of the Lord. So our roots would be, we I would consider the roots to be our righteous ancestors, the prophets, their families that knew, that knew the Lord. And of course, one of the things that is interesting about a tree is that you understand that there's something, there's the phenomenon um, of the xylem and the phloem. Do you remember this from your science classes? Remember what the xylem did and what the phloem did? Not really. Kind of, <laughs> sort of. It's re- well, it's it's kind of interesting because, I'm, I mean, I'm not that smart about all this stuff, but the water is absorbed by the roots, and then the, you understand that the outside of the tree is the alive part. The inside is it serves as strength and holds the tree in its shape, but it it's not alive any longer. It's only it's only the outside. That's you know you put a you put some kind of a band around the outside of a tree and you tighten it like a belt over and you'll kill the tree. But you can put a, a nail or a spike right on through a tree because it's the outside circumference of the tree that's really alive. And there's a vascular network there of, of two parts of kinds of cells that, that allow the, the moisture to flow. This is important. So we have water entering the roots, entering, and they're conveyed up. This is the xylem. It's a vascular network that pushes this water from the ground up through the tree, up into the branches. Now, we could say that these are the, these roots are bearing testimony 
of the Lord, okay? Mm-hmm. And that at some time he comes, bears testimony, of course, of himself or of his, of his father, but these the same truth about Christ in this this water goes up into the branches, and then it goes to the to the leaves in in its season. And when the water goes to the leaves, what happens? It returns. Well, wait. There's something from your science class that you've. I don't remember who you had in eighth grade science, but. <laughs> She's probably saying, Sam. It was my mom. So. <laughs> oh, no. Julia is going to say, Sam, we talked about this. Jason, Andrew. Was it used? Okay. The water comes up into the, the water comes up into the leaves. The leaves are green. That's chlorophyll. The sunlight, this gets back to the Genesis 769. The light from heaven, from above, hits the leaves. Hits the chlorophyll, and what happens? They bring that. Wait, wait, wait. What's the word in science? Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. <laughs> the photons, the light energy bundles, hit the leaves, and that water in the leaves with the chlorophyll, chlorophyll is turned returned into energy. Sucrose or Energy's glucose. Sugar. Sugar. Yeah. Sugar water. Then what happens? I feel it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm not no. saying this well enough, no. evidently. But anyway, that that glucose or sucrose, and I forgive me for not saying it absolutely correctly, comes back down the phloem, which is next to the xylem. The xylem pushed up the water. Now the phloem is pushing that sugar water back down, and it nourishes the rest of the tree and goes down into the roots and nourishes the roots. And so we, you see, we have this. Is that, is that like a symbiotic relationship? I mean, it's almost like. Wait a second. The roots nourish the rest of the tree, but the rest of the tree and the leaves and the branches nourish the roots. Mm-hmm. That's the story of really what's happened with the house of Israel and Jacob and these forefathers coming to a knowledge of the truth in Christ, and then nurturing us with that truth and that knowledge and us receiving and of course that's represented by the book of mormon coming from the earth and then we get this light modern day revelation and the truth that the lord is reaching us with and we take that and we share that and it goes back down to the roots or in this case not to those who are dead but to those who are children of the fathers because they don't know yet of their legacy of their inheritance and of really what this story is and so we have this it's like oh my gosh it's right there in front of us in this metaphor of the tree now we haven't talked about the grafting and and the wild fruit and of course the fruit is the children um, and the good fruit is the children who know the truth and the bad fruit is children who don't know the truth but but basically we it's important to understand this xylem and phloem and and the the journey that the truth takes both in both directions now the truth for us hasn't returned to the children we haven't taken this glucose this nu- this nourishing water back to the in those children of the fathers and that and that's what has to happen for this in order in order for this to really 
bear the fruit as it's supposed to. Does that make sense? Does that help? Oh, yeah. I think it's a powerful image for mm-hmm. me in terms of really this this metaphor. Yeah, I'd never heard that, but it's it's good to know. Well, I mean, I and I hope so. I mean, I hope for others. I mean, other uh, smarter people will take that further and to a, a, a better depth than I just did. But it's like, oh my gosh, I get it. I get it. Lehi has had this insight that has blessed me in my life, and now. I'm to take these blessings and return them to all the others so that it's now we reach this story. It, it's again, it's the mother being woken up so that she can be a factor in the the role of redemption of her own child, or in this case, in a bigger in a larger sense, of the redemption of the world. And it's like, oh my gosh, with all the things that are happening now, with all the COVID-19 and, you know, the riots and the and the various movements that are happening and everyone shouting for a voice, I really, it's, it's so critical that people who understand the truthfulness of knowing Christ and the fullness of what we do understand this amazing opportunity. The world is ripe for your testimony, that nourishment that will reach the rest of the tree. And that's really, in my humble opinion, the only thing that will save our world is your testimony and the testimonies of others going forward boldly, you know, pronouncing the truthfulness and amazing insights of of the Book of Mormon and chapter three of Jacob. (laughs) Well, um, in Jacob chapter three, it talks about a branch that was broken off of the tree and planted somewhere in the elsewhere in the vineyard in several places. Right, there's three. There's or two. Is there? There's four different trees. It's interesting. There are four. One's not mentioned afterwards. We don't. There are people who are much smarter than me who think they know what that means, and I suspect they may. I I, I don't want to speculate because I don't want to put words in other people's mouths incorrectly, but. Um, yeah, there are a number of, you know, they take the natural, and, and we should probably open that up now. Let's talk about the, the the tree begins to bear fruit, and... And, uh, and he talks about um, the Jews specifically putting a stumbling block, or, or um, how, is it, how is it said? It's in verse um, 26, they will reject the stone which they might build, but it's the only stone they can end up building on. Like that's the only, they're going to say no at first, but then they're going to be like, Oh wait, that's the only one we could have built on. So he says, how does that work? Um, right. That, that's his, that's his prequel to the, yeah, to the metaphor. And in um, 29, 31, or sorry, chapter three verses 29 through 31. Um, he mentions the, yeah, he mentioned, he starts the parable and, uh, um, in verse 31, it says it, it, it grew old and began to decay. And, um, I was talking with an elder I, I really respect in Meyer and we were going through this, um, passage together and, and you can say, no, that's not what I see. But he pointed out in Jeremiah chapter two, that's when Israel starts. It's in his eyes. That was the decaying start is when the Israelites start sacrificing children to other gods, um, they start just having other gods before their own. I don't think 
I don't know. I, it's not that I'm basically summed up is that they start looking elsewhere for, for purposeful worship or who to put on the throne of their heart, maybe. And so this tree starts to decay and uh, the master of the vineyard goes forth and he sees it and he prunes it and he digs it and he works with it. And he hopes that it shoots young and tender branches. And I don't want to read necessarily the whole chapter, so anyone can jump in here and sum it up. But um, Well, let's just ask some questions here at this point. Why, why, why the decay? And I know you, you kind of mm-hmm. answered that a little bit, maybe in a shotgun way, which is fine. Why the decay? Because they didn't hold the testimony. Okay. Uh, reaching back to what I we talked about before. I'm sorry. But. Right. I didn't want to ask that in a way that I know the answer. Guess what I'm thinking? I think you know the answer. I'm just curious of what you think that decay was. And I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Others? Why the decay? I think, like you said, um, just about trees in general, olive trees in general, is that when they stop being pruned, they stop being, stop living up to their potential, I guess. Okay. And and so when they stopped pruning their hearts, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, it specifically says um, several times, it says that they needed to be um, circumcised of the heart like that. And so it, when they stopped doing that, when they started getting more pride in their life, uh, when they stopped looking towards God and, and the Messiah for answers, then they stopped living up to their potential. And just like the olive tree would kind of outgrow the, the roots, it kind of, out, they outgrew their roots in my, in my opinion, I guess. Jason, you agree? Yeah. I don't really have much to add there. Sounded good though, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I think so. I, I think that's insightful. I, you know, they, they, they become self-reliant and it's like, we got this, we know what's going on. And he says there a couple of times, you know, um, he'll say this a little bit later too, but the top of the tree is is what starts decaying first, which is interesting because it's like, you know, this is the height. This is, I mean, again, the metaphor is, okay, the really, really, the ones on top, the really, really smart ones, the elite of the culture, the leaders, the politicians, the, mm. you know, the, the teachers, the, the ones in control, they've got it. But in the spiritual sense, you know, they lose their humility. They lose their meekness. As you say, you know, they're uncircumcised of the heart. I mean, it's like, wait a second. They have they have relied on their own intelligence. There's a word in the that's used several times in Romans and um, in the in the Bible. It's not a common word. It's an important word to remember, though, because it it's a it's a huge trap for us as we continue to learn and, and gain knowledge um, in our theology and understanding of God. And it's concupiscence. Have you heard this word? Concupiscence. Concupiscence. C O N. Concupiscence. It's an interesting word, and I maybe I don't have the definition exactly, but I think it, it basically has to do with being um, prideful in your own knowledge that you've you've got it figured out. You've you know you're you've got the truth. You you've understood it. You've captured it. Now you can rely on yourself. And it I can I can tell you from the past experiences I've had. Um, both in the church and outside, that when you hold a position of title 
And when you get used to walking into a room and people, you know, okay, let's let's hear what so-and-so has to say, or let's hear what this, you know, great thinker has to say. Man, it it, you know, there's a there's a part of you, and you have to resist it. You have to resist it. That, you know, I think somehow the humility sort of becomes a little bit invisible and you're not quite as sensitive about it. You're not quite as meek and you're just, well, you know the answer. You've been through this a hundred times. You know the answer. And it creeps into us. I mean, and it's basically, Andrew, what you were saying before, it's pride. And it's like, that is, I mean, if there's if there's anything we need to be looking for in our leaders, um, in order to be a leader, as far as I'm concerned, and I've, I've always believed this, that you really can't be a leader unless you're a follower of Christ. Only the followers of Christ are the real leaders. People who get out and, and you know, I mean, some people are very have very large vocabularies. They're very gifted with their word usage, and they know how to do that. And it's nice to have an audience in your grasp. You're up there, and you're talking, and you're clever with your words and your and it's 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 dangerous because it can get away from you i think this is what happened to the cultures it's certainly what happened in christ's time the sanhedrin the best of the best that was the best look what happened how did the best of the best miss it well at any rate it's it's a it's a message i think within that metaphor for all of us to remain tied to our roots it doesn't mean we want to go back in time. It doesn't mean we want to go back to 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. We're moving forward. But we take with humility and meekness the insights that our ancestors were anxious for us to understand. And we, and we, we diligently and with enormous dedication, pursue the knowledge that the Lord wants us to know so that <clears throat> the tree doesn't decay and it will it will basically um, bear poor fruit and it has it has no purpose for the Lord. Uh, just a thought or question. Do you think that in the restoration or you know Book of Mormon believers where we have the fullness of the gospel that, I could be off, but like, would you think that maybe we would be that top of the tree in terms of church? And I only say that because I feel like we tend to take the fullness of the gospel and us being the true church for granted and almost like a pride thing where we don't necessarily live like we are in the true church when you know, we have dysfunction, um, a sense of apathy. And, you know, I, I just see with the fragmentation and everything, some sort of decay. And maybe we are attached to our roots, but not, you know, choosing to receive nourishment from it or something like that. I, I don't know. That That's just come, something that came to my mind. I think that's but, astute. I, I mean, it's certainly a, it's a matter of degree. Right, that has entered into our existence, and 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 we're guilty of that. In fact, you know, I don't think we I don't think we should um, allow ourselves to look um, on high mm -hmm. to to us. Um, 
we, we may have the fullness of the gospel. We may have more insights about the last days in Christ. But what have we done with it? Right. I mean, <laughs> to much whom it's been given, much is required. Well, we've been given a lot, and look what we've done with it. We may be in more trouble than our Protestant brothers and sisters who've done so well with what limited amount of Scripture they have, compared, comparatively speaking. And I want to say that humbly, but I think that's astute. But, but here's where I think— you know, the baton is passing, and and maybe, you know, I, I, I'm going to be, I hope I don't get too emotional, but I'm going to be boldly frank here. Uh, I have a title in the church. I'm not worried about everyone knowing what that title is, but it basically requires me to take the people to the Lord and take the Lord to the people and to sacrifice on the people's behalf. I know in my heart that means there may come the time when I have to sacrifice my life for the sake of the church, for the sake of this church, for the sake of the true church. And because, you know, I weep on my pillow too for the sake of the people and what's happening. And there's not enough of, not me, but you three doing this in our world to to butt up against the forces of the adversary that are overwhelming so many people that don't hear this, that don't know this, that don't understand what you do. And you have the, the technology understanding as well as the insights of, from the scriptures to put it together in a way that can really overcome this and be announced to the world and cover all of the world in a very short time. You know, when you talk about the true church, and this is something that I believe and it would be my interpretation, you know, the scriptures, um, the one and only true church with which I am well pleased. I believe that the true church, and I may be wrong here, are those who believe in Jesus Christ. I believe the one true church with which he was well pleased was the restoration, which was in, you know, it's all one body, but there's the head and there's the fingers and the toes and the knees and the rest of the body. And I think all those who believe in Jesus Christ are part of the true church. The church with which he was well pleased was the restoration. Now, maybe he's not so pleased with it now because— it can, Do you mean the restoration in 1830? Or do you mean— Yes, okay. when it was said. Just to clarify. Okay. Wait, yeah. correct, right, good clarification, yes. So I do believe that the, that the true church is broader, but— um, I also believe, I still believe that as part of that true church, we have to continue to pursue a purity and a depth and a breadth in our understanding of the ways of the Lord and Jesus Christ that move us forward. Uh, and it will. I mean, John the Baptist brought back the, the Aaronic priesthood and then later you know, the keys to the Melchizedek priesthood were brought back. That's critical, absolutely critical. And that's, I think, also part of the truth, the which is the Book of Mormon coming through the roots of the tree, and then the light. You know, we're talking about Genesis 769 again. Um, 
maybe we should read that so we can get all that straight. But it's Genesis seven sixty nine, the light coming down, and that's that's both inspiration in Scripture and I think also priesthood and covenants, um, and to form this this unity that that has to occur. And I honestly think that the people of your generation and you folks have to saddle up. I mean, and in hear the encouragement from our from the older folks that you've got to see this through the world depends on it or we're going to have more of what we have now in our in our you can see what's happening i mean i've never you you talk to just about everybody and they've never seen the, the this country in this condition before well it's time to kind of see it spiritually and discern it and have you shared your about the the older generations work with the younger generations on the podcast before. I don't uh, think so. Cancer. No. That's a, that ties in really good. I think if you want to share, yeah. share that. Yeah. So this was also in uh, part of the sermon I just had or just preached, but um, my grandma battled cancer uh, this last year. And for the last month, a uh, month and a half, maybe of her life, she lived at home with us. And it was, it was really nice for her to be there, uh, not in the hospital, you know. But I had always had this kind of question in the back of my mind about the Old Testament God being different than, than the God we see today. You know, um, I was a God that brought plagues and a pillar of fire, you know, and, and all that stuff. And, and where do we see that, you know, now? And I thought of the children of Israel and when they were being wicked, he would bring them something that sh- that showed them like like the snakes, the fiery snakes, serpents that that were flying, and um, be like, guys, this is what you're doing to yourself by not being obedient to me. And where where is that that message that God is sending us now? And I'd always had that question in the back of my mind, and and my grandma um, started to die, and um, it got to the point where. Her mind started to go and um, I could see this separation between my grandpa and her and my mother and her. And it's really, really hard for me to see that because, um, I mean, like I loved her very much and I know my all my family did, but those two per- people in particular, like they loved her more than anything. And it was very difficult for me to just stand by and say, I, I don't know what to do. You know, this is, this is hurting this is hurting somebody. And um, I was reminded of something on the internet where somebody had asked, um, uh, it's on Reddit, it's called explain it like I'm five. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think I've shared this on the podcast. Uh, Go ahead. If not. You're good. Yeah. Or if I have, nah. But um, on Reddit, there's there's this thread of posts called explain it like I'm five and people go on to ask, topics to be explained as if they were five years old so you can go on there and hey i want to learn about um the 1970 world cup uh the reason why england did so poorly uh explain it like i'm five years old you know and they'll just well they kicked the ball bad you know uh, like so the answer is really simple but uh, the problem might be really difficult and one of the posts was on cancer and the um, I had read this maybe a year or two ago, and I was reminded of the answer, and it said, um, 
most of the time your body is is making cells to replace the old cells that are dying in your body and they and they're making them at a rate that your body can sustain um the old ones dying and the new ones coming in and so there's a good balance of homeostasis i guess of um of cell regulation and um when you have cancer that regulation is turned off and so the new cells will just grow uncontrollably uncontrollably at this faster rate and and so in essence you have new cells coming in and they're like hey this is my place let me let me do the work and the body and the old cells are like hold on i still have time left i i i still want to move forward and help the body and there's there's this disagreement going on about how to help the body move forward and i was in my kitchen and in our kitchen and um uh, God, I, I believe he spoke to my mind and he's like, I, I'm still here. I, this God of the Old Testament is still here. And this is what I'm, what I'm showing you is that there is a body and it's the body of Christ. And you're supposed to, to move just as the members move in your cells, but for the betterment of the body. And when you don't have an agreement on how to move forward, the body suffers and and not just the body suffers but all of those around the body suffer just like the relationship between my grandpa and grandma suffered because of this the relationship between the church and its bride jesus will suffer if we don't get our act together pretty much but what's so clear from that example is is old cells and new cells and how is that easily attributed to the church older generation and younger generation if we don't work together and if if the the younger kids um are just like hey let's push all the old people out of the church and let's start our own thing you know and the older people are like hey we can't use the new kids because they're all i don't know doing their own thing and and if we aren't in agreement which comes through the spirit because out of our own volition, we're going to fail. We, we will tend towards disorder. But if, if we don't come to agreement on how to move forward for the betterment of the body, the body's going to suffer and our relationship with Christ is going to suffer. And I, so that's, I guess what you were. Yeah. I think that's wise. I think that's wise um, beyond your years, but I'm sure you're a smart person. Uh, I can say from my vantage point, what I've seen more more frequently is that the you get a priesthood office and then you get responsibilities of leadership with it and then you get used to leading and at your spiritual level you lead in a way that may feed you or may feed other people like you but what happens to the younger people and I've seen you know so you have the the view from you do from <clears throat> your vantage point. But I would like to, I wish more of the seniors would turn to the youth in a way that was nourishing and helpful and let them see, you know, if you could see you or you through my eyes and stand up and speak and breathe and then all, you know, let's let's do this shoulder to shoulder. Because I, I think in, in some ways we tend to either overdo it or underdo it. And there needs to be this side by side that you're talking about. You need, you, I mean, you were quite articulate there. That's that's important and will be moving forward. So, <clears throat> well, and I don't want to put interpretation on your own testimony. I'm not trying to be 
Joseph and you, Pharaoh. But um, when you think about the old cells contributing cell to the body and the new cells contributing to the body and the new cells reaching over and saying, this is my job now when it's not supposed to be, um, it fits in right with continuing along. And I'm not trying to push us further into the chapter if we don't want to go there, but um, Jacob chapter three, the Gentiles are grafted in. And what happens to the Gentiles? They take over, um, but then they begin, yeah. Well, first, remember, okay, so we're going back to the to the metaphor of the tree. The wild branches, Gentiles, are grafted into the mother tree. The, the natural branches are moved out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the passing of the torch, right. almost. And right, right. And now the Gentiles, boy, they, they take it and they run. And there's good fruit for a while. Right. And then they begin to cumber the tree. And then they begin to trip up. And um, Same thing happens to them. Right. And, and I don't know if it's written scripturally or if it's just written in my notes, which is a, would be a big difference. But I had, they, they didn't understand the covenants that were first made with the fathers of the Israelites or the original, the original covenant people that they no longer thought anything applied to the old brand. Like they stepped on them um, when they didn't have to. And I think that applies, you know, you can talk about the young generations of the church and the old generations of the church, but you can also apply that to us today we all, both, all generations of the church stepping on the covenants that we don't understand because there's a big, there's a somewhat of a push, not a push, maybe a thought process that the restoration is it, that, that we are the restoration and we're who God's going to speak through and that it can only come through us and we're going to be the ones to build Zion. But if you look back or further into the Book of Mormon, you see that we assist that you know our job has always been to assist and we assist Manasseh right to facilitate not necessarily do the work but to just be the messengers and to have a small part to play well it's it's a it's a big part it's a, a it's been played out before it's the story of Joseph who gets separated from his brothers you know we forget that you know he spent a lot of time in prison <laughs> and suffered and endured a great deal before you know, he rose to power. And then out of that, he basically saved the house of Israel. Well, that's the role now that I think, and, and Ephraim has to help Manasseh step up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of our primary, that's one of the things that I think has been neglected. Not not by certain individuals, but not by perhaps many individuals, but perhaps as a whole. We, we um, I don't think we've really understood the, who the ancestors are that were to reach with this story. And we've certainly, to a great degree, as far as I'm concerned, neglected the Lamanites, whether you consider that to be the Mayans in Mexico or the Native Americans in America. We've got a long ways to go. I don't know how much longer we have. I I do know that we have a tendency to think that as restorationists, we're in the mother tree. And I I just think we should reserve that to the Lord's, you know, we're striving to be as close to Christ as possible and to serve his purposes in our lives to reach as many people as we possibly can. But um, I don't think we can afford to be egocentric, as you were saying earlier here, that there's a greater responsibility and, and, a, and it's, a, it's a powerful sending forth message that it's the importance of the rest of the family that they get this. You know, it's sort of like, okay, let's say Jason decides, 
I mean, Jason has eight kids. Wow. I don't think so. <laughs> he, he adopts some. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so he has eight kids. And he lives at this ripe age and has a he basically has a homecoming. And the kids are all over the country. They're all over the world. And he wants to have this homecoming and have this big feast and this meal and everything together. Well, he invites them all home, invites them all back, gathering again. When's the, when does the celebration start? When does the event start? When all of his kids are there, when everyone's there. When the last one makes it. So here we have the Lord waiting for the last of his children to make it. Because they can't come until they've accepted the invitation to Christ. And that's where we land. And it's like, wait a second. That's so important to the Lord. It has to be come as important to us that it's it's not about the restoration in terms of its centrality or its position on the tree or where it is in the, on the tree. It's It's really about the greater understanding of the restoration of the entire house of Israel mm. and how much everybody matters. And we've got this shared responsibility where we're all tuned in to the Holy Spirit. And I care about as much about you as, as I do everyone else. And, you know, and then beyond time, I care about those who've gone before. I care about those who are about to you know, I care about those who will be born later on. It's, it's, I know it's a little bit Twilight Zone or maybe some <laughs> makes me sound a little crazy. But, you know, when we consider, and I've, I've said this before, anybody that really knows me, you know, when you consider Enoch's experience with the Lord, he, he, this is before um, Zion is taken up <clears throat> into heaven and Enoch is with the Lord and the Lord is weeping, recall? And then it's like, well, wait a second, why, how can you weep? You're the Lord, you're God, you created all this. And then he says, look at the workmanship of my hands. Look what's happening. And then Enoch starts weeping and the Lord comforts him. But it's interesting, after his broken heart and his contrite spirit, the scriptures say that um, he reaches forth his arms. You remember what it says next? And his heart swelled, Sam, uh, wide as eternity. Mm. Now, that just blows me away. That is an impossibility in our understanding. And yet, the scriptures say it. I believe it is true. His heart swelled wide as eternity. How in the world does that happen? And, it, and it's interesting. Why didn't it say... His mind swelled wide as eternity. Why did it say his heart? Because he loved them. It's because love is what leads the mind. You can be smart and not really loving. But to be loving in the Lord is to really, really be wise. You lead with your heart in the right place. That's the way you can do it. Satan is intelligent. He's wise. He gets it. And so, I mean, isn't it interesting that after he has this broken heart, contrite spirit, he basically attains the heart with the Lord. Their hearts are one. And then what's he do after this? 
he establishes Zion because the people are of one heart, one mind. Who better qualified to establish that amongst the people than than Enoch, who experienced that with the Lord himself? And so it's like, that's the challenge. It's like, Andrew, your heart can swell. Why does eternity? Jason, it can get that big. It's possible. He's already, you know, the precedent has now been set. So we don't have an excuse to say, well, that was Enoch. I'm just, no, we're to continue to expand and reach with our voice and our heart and our and our tears and our testimony of this this grandness of of the plan that's unfolding. Well, yeah, and you also, you know, I think a lot of us have had testimonies where we're able to experience uh, through the Spirit the level of love that Christ has for each other, and you know. Every person I've heard who has experienced that said it's something they could never feel on their own. And it's something that they have only been able to um, feel with the spirit. And if we're living in the spirit and um, inviting the spirit into our lives more, then we have the capacity to move forward in a stronger love for each other and and the more we experience that love of Christ, then I think the more we will start to become of you know one one heart and one mind. And one thing I'll piggyback, perfectly said, really, really well said. And that movement of our heart and our love brings the wisdom necessary to help us know how to act and speak. And behave, and so the heart leads the mind, one heart and one mind. They come together in this brilliant, culminating scene. <laughs> you get to talk to Abraham. You ready? I'd rather talk to Captain Moroni first. He's my, he's my hero. So, Captain Moroni. Yeah, well, I'll still talk to Abraham if you. Talk to me <laughs> if Either. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Uncle Abraham. Crazy you know him. Abe. <laughs> Too funny. Um, and I'll piggyback off both of those thoughts. Is is my mind goes to just the prodigal son parable, and uh, and where we fit in on that. And I was always, I was an oldest son, so I always like was rooting for the oldest son for a, for the longest time. And when I read that parable and and, you know, the guy who was the younger son, who was wicked, he was slothful, spent all the money and and comes back. Um, I was kind of like, you know, you should give your older son a little bit more leeway because he didn't ever, you know, he didn't ever leave you. Um, but me and Andrew were up in Michigan doing some, some work up there. And um, somehow through study or whatever, just, you know, um, the Lord opened my eyes to the problem with the the son, the older son, um, when the younger son comes home is that the older son did not know this or did not have the same love as the father. And because it, he didn't have the same love as his father. If he, if he had that, then he would have been running out there with his dad too, to welcome his brother home. But because he didn't have the same love, he had the mind, you know, to, to your point where he stayed, he was smart. Um, he even complains about it. He says, well, I worked all the time here. And my dad never threw me a feast because he didn't have that same love. He didn't get to take part in the feast. And, uh, and hopefully we all as a church, as individuals, as families, um, 
also are smart enough to take part of the feast and let love lead the. And the funny church. part about that is that he excluded himself yeah. from the feast. It wasn't that the father didn't let him in. He he didn't want to be there. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Insightful. See, that's how it works. There's kind of this synergy that kind of forms. But I want to play off that. Okay. <laughs> now it's just a dog pile. <laughs> no more piggyback. <laughs> the interesting thing for me in those two sons, um, both the younger and the and the brother, we typically kind of end the prodigal story about okay, it's a source, it's a story of mercy ahead of justice. The older brother wanted justice. This isn't fair. Where's the justice here, Dad? Come on. I mean, this guy made his bed and he's not even sleeping in it. You're giving him stuff I didn't even get. Not fair at all. And we kind of go, he's got a point. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened here? And then the the younger son, of course, was surprised by his father's reaction. But the truth of the matter is both sons missed the father's point or the father's perspective because you're absolutely right. Where was justice in this story? Nowhere. Yes, it is. It is? It is. We're about to find out. Okay. Sorry. You. No. <laughs> I've gotten every question wrong tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no. Here's, here's the amazing thing that's really, I think, helpful and insightful. The justice was to the father. The father lost the relationship with his son. And he got it back. That's fair. That's right what he deserved it's what the father deserved not what the sons deserved well done (laughs) absolutely i'm just waiting until sam gets it wrong and then i can tell where it's going (laughs) so it's really so what did the father deserve he would deserve the restored relationship back with he had that relationship with his son he was with him always. Everything he had was his. And now that the one that was lost, he had that relationship restored as well. Oh, my word. Justice. It's God's justice. And it's about this return. And so here's here's the point that, that I like to say with that prodigal son is, what would have happened had the older son met the younger brother earlier on his way back? Probably would have turned him away. or Said, stop. Say, yeah. Go away. Beat him up. <laughs> Sam's just trying to be wrong. <laughs> he might have. <laughs> you never well, know. we don't really know. Yeah. yeah. But the point is, well, this is where we are. What do you, what are what are we doing with the prodigals that are trying to find their way back to the Lord? How are we treating them? How are we treating them on the path? Now, here's the really exciting thing. We can kind of end this way if you want. I don't really know if we're ready to or not. But you know who the younger sons are in the prodigal story? They're the Lamanites. They're the house of Israel that haven't found their way back to the Lord. And we're the older sons that have been, at this point, faithful, we'll say. Maybe not as much as we think. But we should be treating those that we come into contact, particularly the posterity of the house of Israel and those fathers, with the love that you're talking about that the father had. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I got that one. You know, I didn't answer that one because I didn't want to get it wrong. You got it right. You did well. (laughs) Well, And just one more thing on that is it also shows me like, 
you said if if the older brother were to see him first like the the quote unquote justice would have been different and it goes to show me that the justice part of all of this is only the lords it's we don't necessarily have the responsibility to enact justice um we are just you know supposed to be that loving welcoming group that whoever wants to come to christ we should be the ones cheering them on we should be the ones say i hope you get the biggest feast ever and and we'll join you amen jason preach it (laughs) we'll uh wrap up here with uh the closing verses of Jacob chapter three, because I think it fits in really well for starting at 144. And it says, and they became like unto one body and the fruit were equal. And the Lord of the vineyard had preserved unto himself the natural fruit, which was the most precious unto him from the beginning. And it came to pass that when the Lord of the vineyard saw that his fruit was good and that his vineyard was no more corrupt, he called up his servants and said unto them, behold, for this last time have we nourished my vineyard and thou beholdest that I have done according to my will. And I have preserved the natural fruit, that it is good, even like as it was in the beginning, and blessed art thou. And uh, you think about the beginning of creation, where God said it was good. Things were perfectly restored to what they had to be, and uh, or what they were meant to be. And you have this restoration taking place now with the church, with the house of Israel, um, with the knowledge of the covenants. Um, and his work will not be finished until it is good again um i want to thank joel for spending some time with us and uh my pleasure and uh andrew for spending some time with us (laughs) i guess and getting the answers right well there we go (laughs) Um, i'm gonna put some thanks out to you for that one okay (laughs) (laughs) but we will catch um you guys on the next episode Uh, we'll be studying jacob's chapter four and five um thank you god bless